Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I'm talking with Scott Snyder, the CEO of Badass Coffee of Hawaii. This 32-unit chain has been around since 1989, but Scott was part of a group that acquired it back in 2019, and they've spent the last four years figuring out how badass coffee can embrace its quirky and evocative branding and deliver the experience of aloha to its guests in and out of its shops. A big piece of that puzzle is Badass Coffee's omni-channel sales strategy that sees it investing in retail and merchandise. And Scott joined the podcast to talk about how shirts, hats, and coffee mugs adorned with the brand's winking donkey logo have become critical as critical to Badass Coffee's experience as its product and its store design. In this conversation, you'll learn more about why the experience your restaurant provides should be authentic to your brand, how merchandise is an underrated way to drive sales without increasing labor, and how an e-commerce strategy can help bring your customers into the stores from day one. Jumping now into my interview with Scott Snyder, the CEO of Badass Coffee of Hawaii. Also, don't forget to stick around after my interview as I will share my six takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. CEO of Badass Coffee of Hawaii, Scott, good morning. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Aloha, Sam. Aloha. You must you must have to say that all the time. Is that in your contract? You have to say aloha. Is that part of the deal? <laughs> it's not in my contract, but honestly, I've been doing it so long now that that's uh, it's second nature. So fair enough. You know it's better than hello and good morning. So um, Scott, tell us for those who are not familiar with Badass <clears throat> Coffee of Hawaii, what's this brand all about? Badass Coffee of Hawaii is a is a really interesting brand. Um, one that I actually stumbled on about twenty eight years ago. Uh, on the big island of Hawaii, and I never thought my wildest dreams that I would, uh, uh, 28 years, 33 years later, uh, actually be the CEO for the company. It's a brand that started in the big island in 1989 as a way for locals to enjoy some of the, the, the fruits of their labor. Uh, the brand name, which uh, was anchored in the legend of how they used to use the donkeys to bring the coffee down the steep volcanic hillsides in Kona, uh, really took off and and uh, and and became a had very quick success in Hawaii. The brand grew, uh, was bought in 1995, and and began franchising out of Salt Lake City. Uh, the brand fell on hard times in 1995, and or, I'm sorry, uh, fell on hard times in about 2008 uh, during the last recession, and really never recovered. That's where I came in uh, and was brought in in 2017 to to help them understand how to kind of get back on track. Uh, the, the result of that actually uh, was an opportunity to buy the assets of the company. And so we formed Royal Aloha Coffee Company in uh, 2019, purchased the assets of the brand and and relaunched the brand with a with a new focus on its Hawaiian heritage, on its uh, Hawaiian coffee expertise, and and had a lot of fun with that uh, that badass donkey, uh, and and really kind of fueling fueling the inner badass in, in all of us. And uh, so we relaunched the brand in 2020, 
just uh, just as COVID hit, which was uh, which was an entertaining time. Uh, but since then, I've had tremendous success. Uh, we just opened our 32nd store uh, over the last weekend. Uh, we, we started uh, with about 18 stores. We opened up our 32nd store last weekend. We've got four more store openings planned here within the next month and uh, and hope to be close to about 40 stores by the end of the year and, and another 120 uh, in the pipeline. So having a lot of fun, having a lot of growth and, and really re enjoying the, the rebirth of a, of a, of an iconic kind of cult-like following brand. Yeah, that's exciting. And, and congratulations on the success. Um, you know, you mentioned obviously going through COVID and you mentioned the brand hitting hard times in 2008, which of course I'm assuming was related to the recession. Now, when I think of coffee though, I think sort of like a recession proof, COVID proof kind of category uh -huh. Um, you know, clearly there are all sorts of other factors at play, I'm sure in 2008, but as far as you see the positioning of this brand, it feels like coffee is kind of a safe bet when you go, when, you know, to go through the highs and lows of things. Is that true? I mean, have you found that badass coffee can, can, can has, it has already survived some of these downturns and can continue to do that? Yeah, absolutely, Sam. I think, uh, you know, we really only need to look back as far as uh, 2020, right, with COVID. I mean, who were the who were the big winners in uh, during COVID for the restaurant space? I think it was coffee and pizza uh, and third party delivery. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the you know, for this brand in 2008, it was more about uh, the lack of an infrastructure that had sustainable success for their franchisees. But, you know, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, coffee as a category is the ultimate habit brand, right? It's the ultimate habit uh, category. You think of the number of times you interact with coffee. Most people interact with coffee per day, whether it's coffee in the morning at home and maybe on the, you know, on your way into work, whether that's at the train station or your drive through on the way to the work. And of course, we've got coffee in the break room and little pick me up after lunch. And so there's, there really is that opportunity for five or six interactions per day with coffee. And that bodes well for the category. So whether you're in the retail coffee business or you're in the coffee shop business, franchise or corporate or otherwise, coffee is a really good category. Sure. Well, and, and you're not the only one to realize that, of course, it's, it's becoming a crowded category, I guess you could say. And you, you mentioned, you know, coffee making it through COVID. There's been a little bit of a boom of coffee concepts coming out of COVID. Um, very drive-through oriented, uh, as I'm sure you are following with some of your competitors. Uh, yep. For Badass Coffee, what's your what's the primary operations model? Is this one of those more leaning towards the Starbucks, come and have a third place, sit and stay a while? Or do you see this as being sort of that providing the convenient, efficient coffee opportunity for the customer's day? I have a little bit different opinion on that. Um, I think uh, everyone had kind of a knee-jerk reaction during COVID and said, you know, the, the, the days of the cafe are dead um, mm -hmm. and everything's just going to be you know, pick up, order ahead, and 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 drive through. And certainly, we recognize that and have models that are built specifically for that purpose. Our approach is really more of a of a location specific. I think uh, there are locations where a drive through with no no cafe, maybe not even a walk up window, completely makes sense because it's purely based on convenience. Uh, at the same time, uh, coffee shops generally become kind of the, the center of the universe. They become, they become that focal point within a community where people gather and people meet. 
Um, and, and we honor that. I think, you know, part of our, part of our brand and what distinguishes our brand from, from other concepts is not only our coffee, not only our name, not only merchandise and things we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but, but also the, you know, the, the environment. We are absolutely an experiential brand. When you walk into a badass coffee, not only are you going to get a big aloha from someone behind the counter, but it, it looks and feels different, right? It's, you know, warm and colorful. It's a great place to chill, right? So you work hard, gives you a great place to chill hard. So I would say it's less about, for us anyway, our philosophy is is more about having the right store type for the location than it is about going all down one path or all down the other path. We really, we really do uh, explore both, and we look at the location and look at what's appropriate for that particular location. And is that just kind of up to the franchisee? How do you make these decisions about what kind of locations to pursue? Well, we use a lot of data, Sam. Uh, we use a lot of data in terms of traffic and where people are coming from. Uh, we use a lot of uh, uh, AI data in terms of, you know, beyond the, the obvious demographics. We look at where people are coming from and where they go, where they came from prior to that location and where they're going to from that location. And so that that helps us to form a lot of our decisions. Um, as you know, we also have a lot of stores that are in what I would call destination locations to where, you know, a high percentage of that, of that store's traffic is, is seasonal. Uh, it's transient, right? It's a different group from week to week based on if people are there for vacation or not. So we take into account all that data as well, but it ultimate, ultimately it's, it's really our, um, our decision uh, for the franchisee, whether we would allow, you know, for instance, if we were to allow a, a drive-through only in a location uh, that has high, high concentration of foot traffic, uh, that wouldn't be a very smart decision and, and really not in the best interest of the franchisee. So ultimately, we're partners with that franchisee. Uh, we try to look at all the data that's available. And, and honestly, we really haven't had any issues yet where where we're banging heads over a, of a difference of opinion. The, the data generally shows um, and leads us down the path as to what's the right model for the location. So you mentioned that word experiential. Um, and I'm curious what that means for Badass Coffee. You know, what, it, what is the experience you hope to create for the customers? And as they move through the space, walk me through that. What is that experience that they're kind of immersing themselves in? It's a great question. Um, you know, I think, I think if you kind of look at the landscape, and there's obviously exceptions to to the statement I'm about to make, but I think when you look through the landscape of of what we would consider for most most coffee shops, whether those are national brands or regional brands, um, obviously one off independents are a are a completely different story, but they kind of fall into two categories in terms of what that experience looks like. One is kind of the the dark, dark industrial or dark wood, you know, almost almost a, a library or, or kind of a study feel or a dark industrial with dark woods and dark metals. And and the other end of that spectrum is really the the almost white surgical suite sort of uh, sterile, um, you know, a lot of stainless steel, a lot of white counters and cabinets and black handles and things like that. Very stark. When you walk into a badass coffee, I mean, we designed it uh, with purpose in mind. Uh, Tim Gervin, uh, Gervin Agency out of out of Seattle, 
I was someone that we engaged with very early in this in this process, immediately actually after acquiring the assets and and together with our team, I mean we really explored, took a look at what the brand was before, which was which was really more of a kind of a commercial interpretation of what that Hawaiian experience would be. Almost almost something that you would see in a retro poster or a, a postcard, you know, and, and we really wanted to move beyond that to move to something that was authentic. Um, basically, the experience that we wanted to create, Sam, was if you've been to Hawaii before or you're from Hawaii, um, there are going to be subtle cues in terms of the artwork, in terms of the finishes, in terms of uh, the music that's playing uh, that will take you back, that that will be an authentic, an authentic uh, reminder of what's so great about the Hawaiian Islands, right? If you've never been to Hawaii before, we wanted to create an experience that, that gave you an idea of what that might be like. So if you mm-hmm. feel like we need to escape, escape the everyday and, and go to a place that's, that's warm and lush and colorful and friendly and relaxing, uh, badass coffee is that experience. And so when you walk in, you, you see natural hardwoods, you see, you know, blues and greens, which represent, you know, water and land. Uh, you have subtle reminders uh, of a diamond pattern, which is a, um, it, it flows through all of our stores and into our merchandise. And, and those are reminders of tribal bands and, and uh, of, of body art that, that is, that's common in, in, uh, in Hawaiian culture. Uh, the music is uh, the music that plays is a custom and, and curated track of music that that runs the gamut of traditional Hawaiian music to surfer influence to to kind of beach and coastal uh, music. And so, again, uh, it, it it begins with what you see and what you and what you experience, uh, but it follows in terms of what you hear, how you're greeted by the staff um, as you get closer to the counter. Well, the first thing you see when you walk in the door is you see a, a beautiful piece of art. It's a, a mural wall of an authentic piece of Hawaiian art that we purchased. Uh, we've blown that up into a mural and that's where we feature the legend that tells the story of the badass ones. Uh, but as you move through the store and you move closer to ordering, you're going to pass the merchandise area, which is important uh, because one of the things that really differentiates this brand is that third revenue stream, which is, you know, beyond just the the, the retail coffee beans, it's this is a brand. Uh, it's kind of a badge of honor. It's a, it's a brand that people want to, you know, identify themselves with as as there's a little badass in all of us. And so the, the ability to wear a badass hat or to walk around with a badass mug in your in your office or at home is is pretty cool. So. So to have that experience as you're getting ready to you know, walk up, hopefully the line's not too long, but it does give you some time to, to look to your right and to see all the opportunities. Um, if our stores are doing a great job, they're, they're sampling new coffees at the counter, right? Which then you can reference back over and, and potentially buy that bag of coffee and get, uh, you know, get something off your drink today. So it really is a, a great experience. Um, one of the most interesting things that I find, Sam, I think, you know, back to your earlier question with, with third party delivery and everyone has to have an, you know, an online app and, and, and order ahead is such a big part of the coffee space. 
one of the interesting trends that I just personally have observed in the stores is the number of people who still use the order head app to make sure that their drink is there when they're ready and they come in and they get it. You expect them to turn right around and walk out because they're in a hurry, but they get their drink and they turn around and, and you can almost see kind of a smile on their face and, and then they find their place where they want to sit down and enjoy it. So we really do, you know, it really was the intention to create more of an authentic, relaxing experience, um, whether you choose to enjoy it or not. So I want to spend a moment on um, the branding element of this, because there's two parts of the branding here that I think are important to explore. And the first part is the Hawaii aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not a lot of brands are really rooted in place quite like I think you guys are. I mean, you know, you see that, um, you know, with a, a little bit um, with, with some concepts, but you guys obviously are really leaning into that Hawaiian aspect of it. Uh, but then there's sort of the provocative nature of your brand too, badass coffee, which is, you know, you, as you say, you mentioned the merchandise, which we're going to get into, um, you know, when, when you wear something that says badass, like people wear that as something that's, they want to be seen as sort of provocative, right? So just first starting with that first part of the branding, the Hawaiian aspect of it, um, you know, you did a great job explaining how that kind of comes to life in the store, but why is the Hawaii element of it so critical to badass coffee. Why is that something you guys have really kind of planted your flag in, in representing? Uh, great question. I think, um, you know, can't take credit for that, right? Someone, someone thought of that in the beginning. And, and while the original intention is different than the intention now, I think uh, the, the common theme there, Sam, is is Hawaii is a place that, uh, again, whether you've been there or, or not, it's a place that we all have a very clear image of of being a very cool, exotic, um, desirable place. Um, in the coffee world, it is a double-edged sword in that um, Hawaiian coffee is absolutely a premium, premium product coffee. And what Badass Coffee is doing with that is really, uh, you know, really kind of creating a new model uh, to show that you can have a premium product as the as the highlighted showcase product in a franchise system. I don't believe that that's really been done in the coffee space before. Um, you know, when we look at the coffee world, you know, there's kind of second wave, which are all the big national brands that we know, and then the third wave that really focus on that that higher quality, uh, really craft roasting. And Badass Coffee is really kind of two and a half wave. Uh, we market and our menu is like those second wave, but the coffee we buy and the way that we roast it is more akin to what the third wave, um, you know, what the third wave coffee shops are doing. So, so for us, um, Hawaii is a differentiator. Uh, the coffee itself is a huge differentiator. Um, and so, uh, we lean into that because I, we think it's desirable for people. It's one of the many differentiators. I've, you know, I've worked with probably 120 different brands in my career up to, up to beginning to work with Badass Coffee and then becoming an owner of Badass Coffee. Um, and I've really rarely seen a brand that has so many unique and ownable truths that separate it from everyone else in the field. Hawaii is a big one. It's, it's enjoyable. It's a place we all want to be or wish that we wish that we could be. And, and, you know, and our, our goal there is to provide that, that comprehensive experience that, 
you know, again, whether it's, it's, it's the store experience or the coffee itself, I think we have a, we've earned over the last several years, we worked very hard with the Hawaii uh, coffee growers. So through the Hawaii Coffee Association, the Maui Coffee Association, uh, we've developed this brand had longstanding relationships, 30 year old relationships uh, with the coffee growers that they were buying from. But we've taken that one step further and we've become much more involved. And, and, and there's a net, there's a story to tell. There's an education to tell. This isn't coffee from Colombia or Brazil or Mexico where it's, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. We're talking tens and maybe hundreds of acres, uh, which is part of the reason why it's so rare, which is part of the reason why it's so expensive. Um, and so it's a, it's a very interesting story to tell, and, and we're, we're proud to be a part of that. Are there limitations to that at, at, at all? I mean, when you think about, like, Hawaii, it, it could be easy to, like, really lean into ukuleles and lays, and, you know, there, there's a kind of too far on the Hawaii that maybe might push some people away. Do you find limitations with that branding? I, I think, uh, you know, this is just my personal opinion, but I, you know, I think if you look back at, at how the brand uh, was presented Prior, prior to to our ownership, the design it leaned very hard into it, almost you know, almost to the point to where it was you know beyond commercialized view of what Hawaii is, you know, um, and and I think that that cheapens it a little bit, right? So, so the artwork, for instance, the artwork in the stores um, is vintage, you know, vintage photography of of surfing, vintage photography of 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 harvesting coffee it's vintage photography of of the use of of donkeys right i mean it's just again a lot of black and white a lot of you know kind of hearkening back to to the roots right what how hawaii became what hawaii is today um and so yeah we're 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 very sensitive of that um there's you know there are a lot of sensitivities you know even on the islands in terms of how the mainlanders, right, use Hawaiian terms, right? And so so we have kind of a balancing act there, right? We we want to bring that forward so we can educate and 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 introduce um the other forty-nine states and the rest of the world to what is so great and so unique uh about Hawaii as a place and about the coffee that it produces, because there's a great story to tell. Uh, but you have to do that in kind of a balancing act in a way that's relatable to the rest of us um, and not offensive uh, to the, you know, to the, uh, the residents of Hawaii. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, you know, speaking of kind of being offensive, you know, some might see the badass coffee as the branding as being maybe, maybe offensive, maybe provocative. Does that ever become a barrier for you guys? And how, how, how is that part of the branding kind of critical to the success of it? The donkey, uh, the ass, uh, is is a it's a it's a, an important part of coffee history in Hawaii. Uh, when the missionaries came to the Big Island in the early 1800s, they brought with them a couple things. They brought Bibles because they were converting uh, the indigenous uh, people to Christianity. They also brought skills, uh, and they were the ones that actually brought the farming of of coffee to Hawaii. And actually the farm that we still buy our Kona coffee from today, Greenwell Farms, was not only the first coffee farm uh, on Kona, but but the first coffee farm in all the of all the islands. And 
the missionaries, the Greenwells, uh, brought uh, brought that skill and that practice of growing coffee. They also brought with them asses uh, that they used to bring the coffee down, right? Steep volcanic slopes, rugged, jagged, uh, not good for horses, not good for people in terms of carrying those heavy beans down. And so, you know, and, and if you think about it, right, uh, the word ass, you know, appears in the King James Bible 76 times. Uh, you won't find the word donkey anywhere. And so they refer to those animals as asses. And so, you know, so for the, the, the indigenous people, they call them the badass ones because they made so much noise, but they were stubborn, they were reliable, they were strong. Uh, but, you know, pardon the pun, but they were kind of paying the ass at times, right? So, so that's where it started from. And, and, you know, and honestly, when, when we acquired the assets of the brand and, and we did our own branding exercise, that was a, that was a big question for me. You know, that it was badass coffee of Hawaii. And, and personally, you know, to your last question, I almost wondered if that should have all been flipped. Should Hawaii be the focus? Coffee be second, badass be third. And what we really came out of that, that branding, uh, summit was a full-on embrace of the dual meaning of a badass. One of the problems that that we, one of the challenges that we saw with the brand when I came in as a consultant was there was no there was no leadership from the from the brand itself in terms of what does that mean, right? What what is the interpretation of badass? And and so you saw stores you you had 18 different stores that had 18 different interpretations of what the brand was what the menu was how the stores looked which merchandise they carried and so part of it was really more of a leadership position and we lead with you know our three brand pillars are about our Hawaiian heritage leaning into aloha spirit of aloha into family ohana that's a big part of our brand uh, leaning into our expertise in Hawaiian coffee, as well as other international coffees that we use. And then three, leaning into, you know, using coffee as a fuel to fuel your inner badass, right? Which is deep down, um, we're all a little stubborn. We're all pretty strong. We're all pretty determined to make things happen in the world and do good in the world. Um, and that's what the, that's what the asses did, you know, back in the day, right? And, and, so a true badass uh, isn't somebody who promotes themselves, isn't someone who's you know, necessarily wearing you know, leather and chains and riding a Harley. It's, it's more about just kind of doing badass things. And if you, if you start to listen to it, you hear it everywhere in, in popular culture. You know, we talked we talk about Ruth Gingrich being a, you know, being a badass. We, you know, we talk about, about this person who, you know, who saved someone who, who did, you know, was a good Samaritan. They're, you know, that was pretty badass, right? I mean, you hear it every day. And we think if you're back to being the ultimate habit brand, if, if you've chosen Badass Coffee as a place that, that relates for you because it makes you feel a certain way, or you like being welcomed, or you, you, you just like that, that vibe, that's pretty badass too, right? You've made a decision to kind of break away from, from the everyday and to find a place that, that you feel comfortable in and you call home. And really, that's what Aloha is all about, right? Being kind, being generous, giving back to the community, being accepting, um, empathy, right? All those things, that's very Hawaiian too. And so, so we've embraced the using coffee as a fuel and, and fueling your inner badass. And, and, uh, you know, we'll never tell you what it means, 
uh, it's really up for you to determine what kind of badass you are and, and what's badass to you. But it all goes back to those donkeys and, and, and their reliably strong nature of creating this opportunity that we all have today. Well, I got to tell you, Scott, this is the first time on the podcast I've had a branding conversation that uh, brought up the King James Bible. But, um, you know, it is it is really silly to think that like badass, it, it might be taboo in that I even was, you know, stifling my giggles as you as you said it. But here we are in a, a society. So, no, I, I, I totally get everything you just said. But that does bring us to kind of the main point of, of why I really wanted to talk to you is because of the way you guys have stood up this new revenue stream, which is your merchandise. And you, you mentioned that merchandise before. Um, uh, tell me about that merchandise line, because I imagine having a brand such as Badass Coffee of Hawaii, where your logo is a donkey. I mean, it sort of just lends itself to t-shirts. I mean, you're wearing the shirt right now. Like there's something that about that, that just resonates as, as something that is a wearable, but where did the merchandise line, what's sort of the origin story of when you guys kind of realized like this was something that we could really invest in? Again, I, I, you know, we can't take full credit for that. I think we'll take credit for taking it to the next level, but you know, the, the prior ownership did a, uh, recognize the, the, uh, the opportunity. In fact, uh, the ownership group, uh, the, um, BJ Belanzich, her story in 1995 was that they went to the original store in Kona and they were part of a big group and, and uh, they, they stumbled across badass coffee just down the road from Green Wolf Arms. And she bought a, a purple hat with the old, with the old logo on it. The old logo looked a little bit like Eeyore. The, the donkey looked a little sad. Um, but anyway, they, they stepped on the plane and the, you know, the story goes that, uh, you know, her, her husband, Michael Blanzich said, you know, I, I bet we could have sold a hundred more of those hats on the spot. Everyone wanted to know where'd you get the hat. Um, and, and again, this kind of goes to the conversation we just had. I think there's something appealing about that. There's something a little bit disruptive about that. Um, but they, they recognize that. And so when they bought the brand in 1995 and began to, to franchise, um, you could call this brand kind of the, the hard rock cafe of the coffee world. It was all about the name drop. So badass coffee of Hawaii, Miramar beach, Florida, badass coffee of Hawaii, Lahaina, you know? Um, and so, so really that kind of started there. Um, I would say we've taken it to the next level and, and again, kudos to, uh, to Tim Gervin and his team. We probably went through 30 different versions of the donkey before before we got with this one, um, he's winking, right? Donkeys are smart. They're really funny. Um, you know, there's kind of a wink of fun there and, and it, it really has taken off from there. So, so recognizing that, that all coffee shops and, and, and you can find different, uh, different statistics, but kind of nationally, I'm going to average, I'm going to say most coffee shops are, are doing somewhere between, you know, one and a half to 3% merchandise in their stores. And that's generally whole beans and, uh, you know, uh, retail coffee, maybe some mugs, maybe some, you know, travel mugs, things like that. The average badass coffee store between retail coffee and, and merchandise is doing between 10 and 15%. And our stores that are in our destination locations, right? They're doing, you know, between 25 and 35% of their revenue is coming from merchandise couple great things about that. Um, it, uh, number one, certainly increases our average 
uh, average check or average transaction. That helps that. But it also helps to lower uh, labor as a percentage of of revenue, right? Um, the coffee shop business is, is, is pretty labor intensive, whether you're, you know, assembling sandwiches or heating sandwiches or, or taking that latte from order down the line, you know, you may be looking at three to four and a half minutes to get that, that order out. Uh, it takes all of 20 seconds to ring up a hat and a t-shirt. So, so it does become an integral part of our business model while it may have more the lower end of margin opportunity for the franchise. It certainly contributes in terms of, of sales, contributes to average check and contributes to, um, uh, to lowering the cost of cost of labor. So uh, we've taken that to the next rent, next level. Uh, we think that the donkey himself, uh, Jack, uh, has an opportunity to stand alone. Um, we could see, you know, long-term, we could see this brand expanding into more apparel as a, as a, as a, as a standalone, um, you know, we're, we're not, you know, you can put a logo on anything, right? It doesn't mean that you should, right? So you need to be thoughtful about that. And so again, we, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about the value of, of the brand in the store tying that to the location that's part of the consumer experience i got this shirt on my great trip to the badass coffee store in virginia beach right and it says right there virginia beach so that is a big piece of this too right uh, linking experiences to the brand it's it's one of the things that that really impressed me when i came in as a consultant I, the brand only had 20 locations when I came in as a consultant, but the brand recall value that I researched was was more indicative of a brand with 150 to 200 stores. And you would hear consumers talk about that to say, oh my gosh, I know that brand. I, you know, we, we went on vacation five years ago to, uh, to Grayton Beach and, and we went to your store every day. Or my wife and I got married and had our honeymoon in, in Maui. 20 years ago and we went to bed. I mean, it, it all comes back. And so I think the merchandise is as much a part of the, uh, about that experience that we talked about earlier um, as the coffee and as the, the, the food and, and the experience in the store itself. So it's got to be thoughtful. You can't just slap a logo on things. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be useful. It has to be meaningful. And then where do you take it from there, I think, is is really the next step in this journey. But it is absolutely a differentiator from a business model standpoint over a over any other coffee shop model, franchise or corporate or independent. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a picture of, of your merchandise section right now, and it's extensive. I mean, you, you guys have put a lot of thought into this and you've really gone all into this. Um, and, and, and to your point, you can't just slap a logo on something, you know, as you were talking, I, I was thinking of, um, you know, it's uh, been a few days now, but Jimmy Buffett just passed. And so I think of Margaritaville, uh, we're getting ready to host an event at Margaritaville and, and, and Margaritaville is, is very associated with identity. So when people who, you know, pronounce to be, it's parrot heads, I believe, are, are Jimmy Buffett fans, you know, and they go to Margaritaville, like this is, it says something about their identity. You mentioned Hard Rock Cafe, that was, that's rooted in, in place, um, it, 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 which brings me back, to, I guess, to the, my question around, you know, as you invest in your merchandise line, how much do you need to know 
your customer base to really understand how to sort of pull those identity strings with them so that they, you, you, to your point, they're going to want to buy this thing. They're not going to see it as some kitschy novelty. They're going to see something and go, that's me. That's my identity. I, I need to have that. Absolutely. And I, and I think, um, you know, we're, we're relatively new into this, right? We're launching the brand in, in the spring of 2020. Here we are in the, the summer of 23. We're still learning, honestly, uh, as we grow more and more stores, stores that are coastal, stores that are inland. Um, we are learning more and more about what is that profile, that unique profile. And, and I think one of the things that's really interesting, Sam, about this brand is, um, you know, in, in, in my years of working with other brands, you, you generally find where their target customer is on the spectrum, right? Maybe it's a value to, to luxury and the spectrum and you, you pick where they are, where their sweet spot is. And you, you kind of, your strategy is I'm going to take them down towards a value play, or I'm going to take them up towards luxury, whatever, whatever the, whatever the, uh, the strategy is. Badass Coffee has such an interesting audience because on one hand, you do have a, a younger audience that that says, you know, I'm done with this brand or I'm done with that brand, and boy, this is my brand, and and maybe they're not even coffee drinkers at that point. You know, they're they're drinking lemonades and they're drinking you know other other things. Uh, but at the other end of our spectrum, we have a we have a very loyal and longstanding customer base that's been buying the most expensive 100% Hawaiian coffees from us for for 33 years. Um, and so we really have an opportunity to, to create a lifetime journey with a customer. And so we're still trying, we're still, you know, we're still gathering information. We're still looking at the data. We're still trying to put a little bit more of a finished definition of what that customer type is. But to your point, we are we absolutely uh align ourselves with brands like Margaritaville. I wish that we were the coffee in Margaritaville hotels um I would love to have that opportunity uh, because we think that there's a there are a lot of parallels there in terms of you know life by the water's edge or life on the water um you know and i and I just think uh we admire brands like Margaritaville we admire uh the brands like, uh, you know, Hard Rock Cafe and what they and what they are and what they were. Um, other brands like that, the people uh, do identify themselves with. And we think that Badass Coffee has that opportunity because it's not all just about coffee. It's it's again, it's it's about lifestyle. It's about how you treat people. It's about, you know, sharing aloha and and treating people like family and and. Who doesn't uh, who doesn't want to be a part of Hawaii? You know? Well, and to that end, I mean, it, it does all ultimately come back to place in a way, which is Margaritaville is a vibe, but it's also it's a place, which is the tropics and yeah. Hard Rock Cafe. You wanted to collect the shirts with the city and the Hard Rock Cafe that yeah. it was a place, not necessarily the, the brand itself. So um, you guys sort of have it baked in with Hawaii being very rooted in, in who you are as a brand. Um, I want to get into sort of your call it omni-channel revenue strategy. Um, and you are, um, you're, you're the second person I've spoken to recently with this kind of triplet, uh, you know, um, revenue stream model. Uh, the other person being Stacy Peterson of Jenny, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. And um, very similarly, you know, Jenny's has a, um, they have their scoop shops, they have a retail uh, CPG. 
and they have a direct-to-consumer business. You guys, similarly, you have your coffee shops, you have your retail beans, and then you have your merchandise. And um, and so I'm curious about this because when you say omni-channel, or when I say omni-channel, you know, you, usually it's referencing drive-through, delivery, curbside. But in this case, it's a little bit different. You guys have a little bit of a different business model um, afforded to you because of sort of the nature of coffee, the fact that you can sell beans, but then also, again, this great merchandise opportunity you have. Which brings me to my question, which is, how do you invest in these three revenue streams sort of together and separately to deliver the badass coffee brand to new and old customers? How do these things kind of work in concert with each other? I think the way to answer that question is there's, there's really two ways to look at that, Sam. I think, uh, you know, within the store, we just talked about that, right? The, the sales mix, right? We look at different models by their sales mix. If you're in a if you're in a destination area, a, a large part of your business is going to be driven by the merchandise sales. If you are more of that that drive-through model, you're going to you know a large part of your the the largest part of your uh, sales mix is going to be driven by beverage, and very little of it's going to be about merchandise. But but I think as a as a business structure, which I think is where the basis of your question was. We had uh, both a challenge and an opportunity with this brand. You know, we took it over, like I said earlier, in my research, my initial data research, I saw great brand awareness of this brand, even though there, there were, yeah, at the time we finally did the acquisition, there were about 18 stores and, and we lost a few shortly thereafter with, with COVID. So we were down in the, in the mid to low teens. Um, and I, and I think the challenge was how do you leverage people's familiarity, how you introduce new people to the brand. And, and it was a very intentional marketing strategy designed ultimately to drive customers into the stores and create demand for stores. And so using social, using uh, the small the small online store that, that we acquired, um, we really used social to, to create buzz around the brand, to introduce the brand to a younger generation, to reintroduce the brand to existing prior customers and, and people who had experienced the brand and really spin that up in a way to where it was fun. It was lighthearted. It was, you know, tongue in cheek. It was, you know, but, but at the same time, really establishing, you know, again, the, the, the ties to Hawaii, the ties to the the premium, super premium quality beans, and having a lot of fun with with the donkey, right? What that did was that began to grow. That base began to grow, and and what you what you create is buzz and conversation about a brand that most of the people that are doing the conversation has never experienced before. That buzz around the conversation created demand for product, right? And when you only had, you know, 16, 18 stores at that time, where do you buy that product? That created the opportunity for that, that e-commerce platform to bring the product, put the product in the hands of the person. What's all this buzz? It seems really fun. Oh, I want one of those hats. I'll try some coffee, right? And so to create that buzz and create the demand for product, once the product was there, now you've converted, now you've converted uh, enthusiasts into advocates. Oh my gosh, this is the best coffee I've ever had. I had, you know, 
I'm the I'm the first one in my in my neighborhood to have this hat. Now everybody wants that hat. Guess what? I'm buying everyone for Christmas this year. I'm going to buy you a gift basket with a mug and a hat and a bag of coffee. So you've created demand for the product and you get enough of that product out. That product demand then converts into, oh my gosh, you have stores. When are you going to build a store in my neighborhood? And that's where you move back into the franchise world to say, now we have not only a base, we've, we've seeded a geographic area with known e-commerce customers, but I can show you socially where those conversations switch from, isn't this great, to, oh my gosh, I have to have some of that, to, oh my gosh, when are you going to build one of these in my neighborhood? And that creates the opportunity to sell franchises, to build stores, to open stores in markets where the brand is already known and you have a baseline customer base already there. And ultimately, that is our goal. We want to make sure that the fran this is all we are a franchise first organization. Make no mistake about it. Every decision that we've made and when you have to rebuild a brand from scratch and rebuild an infrastructure from scratch, the way that we would prioritize the priorities is which one of these decisions is going to impact franchisees in the most favorable way first. And so this whole marketing strategy has been designed to create demand for stores and to build a base of customers that will populate that store and, and support that store from day one. The stores that we're opening right now are, are the beneficiaries of that. Kind of makes me think of loyalty. I mean, I know when you talk about loyalty, usually you're talking about something else. You're talking about sort of, you know, um, these days it's certainly technology, apps, mm -hmm. rewards, points. But it almost seems to me like when you talk about that baseline of customers, it's almost like your VIP, right? Like in some ways, this is a deeper loyalty because if you get somebody who wants to wear your hat, wear your T-shirt, buy your mug, there's there's value to that loyal customer. Is that what you're seeking? We are. They're brand advocates. Um, they're they're walking billboards, right? Um, it, it's a conversation generator, and that's and that's really Sam, where we go back to the, you know, you use the word provocative, right? Um, you know, in terms of of the logo and the name, I, it it just there's something about this logo. There's something about that donkey, and he's front and center, right? That generates that. Oh, that's really cool, you know, and, and it creates conversation. So I, I think we're blessed, uh, truly blessed that our customers are so passionate about the product. They are loyal. It is a loyalty thing, but it's also, like I said, it, as you said earlier, with Margaritaville, it's almost an identifier. It's who I am. I've made a, I've made a conscious decision that this is a brand that represents what I'm all about. And, and I don't need to say it. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a badass. You wouldn't you wouldn't suspect it, but deep down I'm I'm a bit of a badass and I'm and I'm not, you know, not only not afraid to wear this, I'm I'm proud to wear this because I'm different and I'm proud of that. Well, that's good stuff. Scott Snyder, the CEO of Badass Coffee of Hawaii. Scott, appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. That was my interview with Scott Snyder, the CEO of Badass Coffee of Hawaii. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my six takeaways. My first takeaway is that the experience your restaurant provides should be authentic to your brand. 
Scott explained how there are kind of two two versions of coffee shops in the world. He explained that, you know, there's the one version that's kind of dark wood, um, cozy, darkly lit. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have this sort of stainless steel, bright, sterile kind of environments. Of course, there's a lot of nuance uh, between those two. But he wanted Badass Coffee to be not either one of those sides. He wanted it to be authentic to the brand. And so for Badass Coffee, you know, they have touches of Hawaii throughout their restaurants, and they look totally different from other coffee shops. He explained that they've got vintage photos of surfers and Hawaiian culture. They have a lot of colors that kind of bring the culture of Hawaii to life. Uh, you know, Scott explained you don't shouldn't just follow you know the trend or expectation of what the coffee shop is, but rather stay authentic to your brand in your shop design and root it in what you can see about the brand as much as what you can uh, taste. And, um, you know, even in the, the what you can hear in the restaurant, I love how he talked about how employees say aloha to guests who come in. You know, what is the guest seeing and hearing? That's as important at, to the experience of a brand as what you're tasting in the menu. My second takeaway is that there is value in your brand's ownable truths. That was a, a phrase Scott used that I really appreciated. You know, for Badass Coffee, it's Hawaii. There is just everything about this brand is rooted in Hawaii from the product to the experience to the vibe that they're trying to create. And they're really investing in that. They wanted to have a rich sense of place that they could build this brand around. You know, Scott explained that they wanted Badass Coffee to be uh, e evoking a, a place that you want to be. A lot of us have never been to Hawaii. I, I've never had the fortune of going to Hawaii. And chances are, if you're listening to this, maybe you've only visited Hawaii. You've never actually lived there. And for those of us who dream of going to Hawaii and experiencing that, that's what Badass Coffee is really trying to, again, evoke and create through their brand. So that's, they, they discovered that ownable truth about the brand, which was Hawaii, and they are really uh, imbuing that into every element of the brand. My third takeaway is that you should have a consistent interpretation of your brand. Uh, when Scott and his group took over in 2019, there were 18 shops. And, and as he explained it, you know, every shop kind of had a different interpretation of what Badass Coffee stood for. So the past four years, they've really been doing a lot of work around making one consistent branding experience across all what is now 32 shops. I think it's really important for something like Badass Coffee. You know, when I first heard the name of this brand, I was like, oh, wow, that's a very evocative name. I could see how some people might even find it offensive. But Scott does such a wonderful job really explaining what does badass mean. That is a donkey that goes back into Hawaiian culture and history. And if the brand did not try to consistently explain and evoke that branding across its shops, it would leave each store owner and certainly each customer to interpret it for themselves. And for some people, maybe that wouldn't be a positive interpretation. The point is, is whatever that brand is that you've invested in, whatever you're trying to evoke from your customers through your branding, make it consistent across the shops and help them interpret it, interpret it so they're not interpreting it for themselves specifically in a negative way. My fourth takeaway is that merchandise is an underrated way to drive sales without increasing labor. This was really why I wanted to talk to Scott, but I'm really because I'm really impressed by 
the merchandise uh, channel that they have built. And I, you know, I've seen photos of this thing. We'll try to throw a photo up on the website for you to see as well. But their merchandise section is it's big. It's not just a couple of hats and shirts at the point of sale. It's a whole area of the restaurant designated to their merchandise. And as Scott explains it, you know, the merchandise helps to lower labor as a percentage of revenue. Because it is very easy to ring up merchandise at the point of sale, much easier, certainly, than making a a latte. Uh, And so that merchandise has become a really key way for them to drive sales. Really incredible. He said it's 10 to 15% of their sales and can be even higher at some of their locations that are more destinations. It's more of an effective strategy in in those places that are destinations. And um, it's just worth thinking about that merchandise can represent a solid chunk of your sales without any increase to your labor. But of course, it's a little bit more difficult than that. And that leads me to my fifth takeaway, which is that merch can help you link experiences to the brand. So this is the important part that, again, I don't think you can just slap your logo on a t-shirt and hat and call it a day and hope you're going to get 10 to 15% of your sales. Rather, you have to lean into that merchandise and that retail to evoke your the experience you're trying to create and to be linked to the experience you hope your customers have. Um, Scott said something really incredible, which was that the brand recall among customers for Badass Coffee is similar to that of a major chain with more than a thousand locations. And the reason why people remember this brand and they remember the experience they're having at Badass Coffee is that, you know, maybe they got the shirt with the city on the, under the logo where they bought that shirt or they got the hat and people ask them about that hat because it's a winking donkey that says Badass Coffee. Uh, there is an experience to the merchandise they're selling. And especially, again, he mentioned in some of those uh, areas where Badass Coffee is located that are more destinations. You know, a customer might be there on vacation having a great experience. Badass coffee becomes a part of that experience. They bring home the T-shirt. And those are inextricably linked. The experience, positive experience they're having is then linked to the brand. And they even take home the hat and the mug to, to remember that by. All of this brings me back around to if you're going to have merchandise or retail uh, for your own brand, don't just throw it out there for people to have. Think of how... You can connect the experience your customers are having to the merchandise that you're selling. Uh, I really do appreciate this uh, this bit about how they put the city name under the logo on that shirt uh, for wherever um, the customer has purchased that shirt, whichever badass coffee they've purchased that shirt. Because it reminds me of Hard Rock Cafe. We, we brought this up in our conversation, Hard Rock Cafe Margaritaville. Um, for myself, as a kid, I remember going to Hard Rock Cafe on family vacations. I remember going to one in Myrtle Beach. We even went to one, I remember, in Paris. And we got those shirts that said Hard Rock Cafe Paris, Hard Rock Cafe Myrtle Beach. You probably can picture these shirts even as I'm saying this because a brand like Hard Rock Cafe, Planet Hollywood, Margaritaville, these are all really rooted in the places that they decide to open. And again, they become a part of the experience that the customer is having in a very unique way. This isn't for everybody. Certainly, you know, McDonald's, Wendy's are never going to say, oh, hey, here's the name of the Wendy's that you went to. It's, it's a little bit of a different ballgame. But I'd guess that there's a number of you out there who might have a brand that this could be a good fit for, where you can bake your merchandise 
into the experience that the customers are having in that location. And again, sort of uh, making those two things go on into the future hand in hand in a very positive way. My sixth and final takeaway is that an e-commerce strategy can help drive customers to your stores from day one. Uh, this is, again, not for everybody, but I, I'm seeing this more and more from coffee brands, treat brands, snack brands. If you're able to build out a retail line or you know an e-commerce strategy to where you can ship your product, uh, consider that you can really build that into a community even before you open your store. So if you are, for example, planning to open in, let's just say, Minneapolis for the very first time, how can you hit Minneapolis with your retail, your e-commerce strategy ahead of open so that by the time you open your doors, customers in the area are familiar with your product because they've had it shipped to them. They're already familiar with your brand. And so now when you open your doors, they're lined up and ready to go. Again, that's not for everybody and not for every category in the restaurant industry, but I'd wager another guess that there are some of you out there who, who your product is well designed for e-commerce for shipping that product. And you can really tap into that strategically to uh, get into a market before you have brick and mortar there. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.ocus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.